in Exodus 33, Moses is pleading with God on behalf of the children of Israel. If you remember that, that situation or that section of the Bible, Israel had just been, they just made a golden calf. God, God's up on the mountain with Moses and they're making the Ten Commandments, putting the Ten Commandments together. And, and the, the law, really, not just the Ten Commandments, all the law up there. And here's Israel down here in the valley and they're worshiping a golden calf. And uh, they were saying that calf is the one that got them out of Egypt, got them out of slavery. It's a pretty unusual story if you really read, especially Exodus 33. God is ready to abandon these people. I mean, that's, that's the message it seems like. God's ready to say, I brought you out. What are you doing worshiping that calf? But then Moses is standing as an intermediary, as an advocate on behalf of the children of Israel, and he's begging for mercy. He's saying, God, give him another chance. Give him another shot. And of course, God does renew his covenant with his people. He does renew his covenant. He does give them another chance, if you will. But there's a statement in that conversation where finally God says, yes, they're my people and I'm going to make that covenant with them. There's a statement that Moses makes and he says, and I'm going to read it for, for you. It's in Exodus 33, verse 15. He says, talking to God, he says, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. It's good King James English for you. I'll just say it the way Matthew would say it. God, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. That's what he says. He says, if you're not going to go with us, if your presence is not going to be with us, I just soon, not, I just soon stay here. That's what he's saying. I just soon stay here. And I spring that up right now because this is a personal desire that I've had for a little while now. Literally, God, if you're not going to go with me, I don't really want to go to the next step. It's the prayer that I prayed when I left the last church that I was pastoring. It's a prayer that I prayed when I wrestled whether or not to stay in Rockingham County at a church that uh, wanted me to pastor there. It was a prayer that I prayed when me and Vanessa made a decision to make a move up here. We moved up here, many of you know, this past summer. It was also the prayer that I continue to pray as I agreed to be a candidate to be the pastor, your pastor. And I want to encourage you in this message today to pray the same prayer with me. And it's why I bring you literally about 700 years later in your Bible. So Moses is talking to, to God on that mountain probably around 1400, around, uh, around 1400 or so. We're talking about 700 or so here, about 700 years later. And a lot of water has gone under the bridge for Israel. Israel's, of course, made it to the promised land. They've had some good kings and they've had some bad kings. Sometimes they're faithful to God and sometimes they're not. <laughs> that golden calf was not the last time they were unfaithful to God. But God's presence never, leaves, never fully leaves them. And this passage comes in Isaiah, if you're in Isaiah chapter 26. This passage comes at the end of a prophetic section Know that Isaiah, he, he says a lot. He's got 66 books in which he says it. There's a section that starts in chapter 13 and goes to about where I am now. It says God is promising judgment on God's people's enemies. And in chapter 26, if you look with me in verse 1, it says, In that day this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. 
Isaiah breaks out in a psalm. He's singing. That's what this whole chapter is. It's a psalm. A psalm, if you want to use that language. But it starts out in the first 11 verses saying, this is victory that our God achieves for us. Remember I told you, he said this 13, chapter 13 to this point, is God judging the enemies of God's people? They're saying, God has achieved this for us. In verse 1, I won't read it, but in verse 1, he says, I'm pro- he's protecting us. Verse 3, he's providing us peace. Uh, verse 4, he's got strength that doesn't have a limit. There's no end to his, his, his strength and his abilities. In verse 5, he takes arrogant people, people who think they've got, they've got the world by the string, by the tail. He says, he bring, this, this psalm says, God humbles those people. And in verse 11, 11 it says he takes the, the arrogant, the, the wicked, he destroys them and he humbles them. All of that's to simply say that because God is that kind of God, you understand this? God is that kind of God. God is so faithful. God is so present. Despite his people deserving him to abandon them, he is still present. He is still faithful. He is so powerful. He is so able. He is so protecting. Because of that, and this is where I'm going to pick up in verse 12, He's making this point. I want you to hear this point as I read this text. We can and we should look to him to meet the needs that we have right now. Because he's that kind of God, because he does those kind of things, he has that ability. We have needs right now. We can and we should look to him right now because he's that kind of God. I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 26. I'm going to begin in verse 12. I will read down to verse 15. Here's what the scripture says. It says, Lord... Thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. Our Lord, our, O Lord, our God, other lords besides thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore thou hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast moved, removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. I want to ask you to pray with me as we take a minute to look at this passage together. Lord, you do know that I'm trying to help these people see that you're the only answer that they need. And that without you, We're just going to give it up. Lord, help me to articulate this in a way that makes sense. Help me to say these things in a way that motivates and inspires, but ultimately help me to be a mouthpiece of your word so that your Holy Spirit can take these words and find their place in the hearts of every man and woman in in this room so that we can seek you, Lord, and seek your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Start off by simply asking you this question. I want you to try to think about in your mind. Has God been good and faithful in your past? We could take time and look through the scripture and find places where he's been good and faithful. And I think we'll find that to be a common theme throughout the, throughout the history of the world. But I'm not asking about the history of the world. I'm talking about your history, your life, this church. Has God been good and has he been faithful 
to you. Can I ask you one more question? I do not want you to answer this out loud because it ain't none of my business, but you need to think about this. Has he been good and faithful to you in spite of your sinfulness, in spite of your unfaithfulness? If you can answer, yes, he has been good and faithful. And you can go further and say, yes, he has been good and faithful in spite of my not being good and not being faithful. Then I want to just take a few minutes and think about what does that mean for me and you as we look around at the world around us, maybe even in our own families, and we see chaos, we see confusion, we see pain. When we look ahead down the road, and, and I'm having moved up here, we see a lot of fog up here. Uh, there's a whole lot of fog up here. Uh, tell you what, it's a lot of fog up here. Um, but you know how it is when it's foggy and you can just barely see, you can't even see the curve in the road sometimes. When we look ahead to the future and sometimes our uncertainty is like that foggy road where we don't even know, it's on a road we've never been on before, so we don't know which way the road bends and we don't know what to expect. We don't know and we can't see it. When we look ahead and we see uncertainty, we see the unknown. When we, if you're like me and you're, you're thinking about, I, 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 maybe I'm alone in this, but I'm at that stage in my life now where I'm starting to think about as my children are getting a little older and a couple of them have left the house and I'm starting to think in terms of my legacy and what's going to happen after I'm gone. And I think about what, 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 is my, what is my real calling on this earth? Why am I here? What am I doing? These are big questions, right? But when you start thinking about those in real ways, my question comes back to my, my or, or come back to the original question, which is, has God been faithful to you? Has he been faithful in spite of your lack of faithfulness? I believe that the same God who has always been faithful will now be faithful in what we are dealing with right now and what the next steps are. That's the point I want you to see in this passage. Why can I say that? Why can I say that with any assurance at all? If you'll go back to the, the text in chapter 26 and verse 12, he says at the beginning of that, he says, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us. Thou wilt ordain peace for us. Do you need to understand that if we're to have any peace, and Lord, do, I not, do we not want peace? I want peace. I want peace in my soul. I want peace in my family. I want peace in my community. I, I want peace. I want peace in the world. I mean, good gracious. I mean, I know it doesn't directly affect me. It affects me a little at the gas pump, but it doesn't directly affect me. But I, I hate that there's a war that's continuing to wage in the Ukraine. I, I hate that. I hate those kind of things. So I want peace. Where is that peace going to come from? Where is that peace going to happen? He says, thou, talking to the Lord, thou or, wilt ordain peace for us. God is the author of peace. He ordains it. He, that word ordain, it means he's the one who establishes it. He's the one that defines it. He says, this is what peace is. If peace is going to exist, it's because I've created it. I'm putting it in place. He's doing it. But it also says he's establishing or ordaining peace for us. Please understand that his, this peace that we want, that he provides, it's not something that he just sort of slips up and says, oops, didn't mean to do that. Glad you enjoyed it. No, no, it is on purpose. It is his part of his plan. God has planned peace for his people. Can I say it to you another way? 
If we are God's people and we don't enjoy peace, do you know what the problem is? It's not God. It's us. Because God has planned for his people. He says there, thou shalt ordain, thou would ordain people for us, his people. He says that's part of God's plan for God to give his peace to his people. In fact, it is his presence. If I were to go back to chapter 26, verses 1 to 3, you'll see this in some detail. But essentially, he says the very presence of God actually provides peace. Actually, go to verse 3. I want you to see this. He says in verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. He says the way to have peace is to have your mind stayed on him, to, to, to dwell and to, to focus and to, to have as an emphasis of your life God and his presence. Because if you'll stay in his presence, that's where there's peace. That's where there's peace. So if we're to have peace, and I'm talking to you all, not just me, I'm not talking to just me, and I'm not just talking to people out there, because they ain't here, I'm talking to y'all. You, if you are to have peace, you have to have the presence of God. You have to seek the presence of God. There's not going to be any peace on your inner soul and in your inner life without that. Because you know what we do when we don't have peace? You know what I do when I don't have peace? I worry. What, can I, what could I have done different? How can I fix this? I, I, I sit around and I, and I, I, I try to scheme and I, and I try to, to find out some sort of self-help so some kind of self-help approach. How can I approach this problem? How can I deal with this? And I scheme and I scam. You know what some of us do? When we don't know what to do and we don't have peace in our souls, y'all can, can lie all you want to, but I know you do it. You got food, you got drink, you got all television. We numb our minds and our bodies because we're so disturbed. We don't know what to do. But the Bible tells me in Philippians 4, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And he goes on, he's not done. And the peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Are you disturbed? Is your peace disturbed this morning on your inside? Seek God's presence. Go call out to him. God, I need some help this morning. I'm disturbed. <laughs> you know what he'll do? He'll give you, the Bible says, Philippians 4, 6 to, uh, 4, 6 to 7, he'll give you peace that's beyond understanding. That's what he's promised to give you. You want peace in your community? I can tell you that some people who are bigger and stronger than me would advocate that uh, the way to get peace is by force. You're going to, you're just going to, those people that are out of line, knock them down, get them in line. And that may well work. I don't know. I could, don't trust me to do it because I can't, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. But I can tell you that it shows a power ultimately are not going to be the source of peace in our community. Jesus is the best example of this in first Peter chapter two. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The example that Jesus gives us is when we want peace in our community, you know what we need to do? Lord, I'd like to have some peace in my community. 
Instead of us trying to force it, trying to force people to do things, think ways that we do, we got we to gotta stop that and instead seek the peace of God. And in this world, the only hope for this world is what John says in Revelation 22. He says, surely, John, rather Jesus says, surely I come quickly. And John says, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's the source of peace that we have. But the whole point I'm trying to get you to see is that the only hope that we have for peace in this world is by having the presence of God. But he goes on and says in the second part of verse 12, he says, for thou hast also hast wrought all our works in us. To say that simply for you, he says, not only are you going to give us peace, God, but if there's anything that's going to get done, any work that's going to be accomplished, you're the one God that's going to accomplish it. That's what he's saying in that verse. If you were to go back to verse four, where he talks about who God is, the Lord God, Jehovah, he uses that, ver that word about God. You need to understand that what he's saying is that God is the uncaused cause. You do know that God was before anything happened, before anything. All the way back to Genesis chapter one and verse one, he says that in the beginning, God created. That's how it says, that's how it started. What was before that? God. Nothing but God. Just God. If there's anything that exists, and I, I mean literally anything, even the things that man created could not exist if there wasn't a God because God made man, God put the thought in man, God gave man the ability, God gave man the dexterity, all of those things. God is the uncaused cause. You say, where did God come from? God is God. He is eternal. There is no beginning. There is no end. He is eternal. There, He didn't come from anywhere. He always has been. He is the uncaused cause. He is the one that does not have a start. He does not have an end. Nothing exists without him and nothing is accomplished without him. Paul, that's why Paul says in Philippians 4, a common or a rather familiar verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Because if God enables us to do it, he gives us the power to do it. Let me just go ahead and tell you, there's no limit to what God can do. And if he chooses and he does and he has throughout history to use men and women to do his work, those people, even Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I will. This is what Jesus said. Why? Because God has no limit and he can work through his people. That's what he does. But if he does not, if he is not part of this, if he is not present, what are we going to accomplish? Nothing. As my daddy says, a zero with the ring rubbed out. That's what he says. That's how he talks about it. He does it all. He says there, you have wrought, you God have wrought, you've done all our works in us. He does it all. He brings together the circumstances. He delivers the power. He makes the work. He makes it effective. And yes, he does work through his people, but don't miss what is the uncaused cause. Not me, not you, but him. He's the one who works through us. So if we're actually wanting to accomplish anything, we have to seek his presence. 
God is the one who saves souls. God is the one who allows us to be pleasing to him. God is the one who makes our work, whether it's raising families or, or working at, 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 at the office or at, the, at, the, at the, the, the shop or whatever it is we're doing. He's the one that accomplishes that work through us. He is the one that does that. So the only hope that we have of accomplishing anything is if God's presence is with us. He goes on in verse 13 to say, I would say he's complaining. He's really complaining. Just look at what he says there. He says, O Lord, our God, other lords besides thee, beside thee, have had dominion over us. He's complaining that they've had some tyrants over their, their history. And if you know anything about the, the history of Israel, even at this point in history, they have had some tyrants who have ruled them, have enslaved them, have hurt them, have killed them, have, have dominated them in so many ways. They've got each, I mean, in just the chapters prior to this, it talks about Egypt and Moab and Syria and Edom and Philistia. These are all kingdoms who would come in and try to take God's people and control them and, and run over them. But then he immediately, as he's saying this, or singing, this is a song, as he sings that, almost immediately he remembers. Look what he says in, in, uh, in verse, the last part of uh, verse 13. He says, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. Now, I want to make sure that you understand what he's saying there. He says, yeah, there's these people that have tried to be our, our domin- have tried to dominate us and tried to lord over us, but there is... Somebody that's better, somebody that's victorious. In fact, you're the name that we make mention of. We don't even talk about them anymore. That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying there's a better and more victorious master. He never forgot God. That's what he says in verse 13. By thee only will we make mention of thy names. We never forgot who you were, God. You're our Lord. You're our master. And I love how he says it in verse 14. They... Those, those, those tyrants, in fact, some of those names of Moab and Edom and Philistia of the five I mentioned, they're not even things anymore. Not even things. And the ones that are names, Syria and Egypt, they're not what they were before. We just call them the same thing. They're completely different. He says in this passage, they are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. Those enemies are dead and never rising again. This is what he's saying. Do you know where your God is? Does anybody know where your God is? My God's not dead. He died for me. He died for my sins. But you know what he did? Three days later, he got out of the grave. Victorious. Not only victorious over Egypt and Moab and Syria, but over my sin, over my judgment he was victorious over that and he alone will outlive outlast and overcome anyone who tries and anything that tries to dominate God's people in fact Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 he says that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church I'm trying to get you to see that God overcomes anything and everything that would try to dominate us. Say it another way. If we're going to have victory, and I want to have victory. I like to win. Don't y'all like to win? I just like to win. I don't do it near enough, but I sure would like to win a whole lot more. But if you're going to have victory, we have to have the presence of God. 
And what God's going to do is he's going to defeat those who abuse, who lie and manipulate. That's what God is going to do. He's going to defeat those who try to lord over God's church and try to act as if it's their church and they're going to own it and run it into the ground. That's God's going to, God will take care of those things. God is not going to let that slide. In fact, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But he's not only going to defeat those things, he's also going to defeat that sickness and that pain that some of you are actually enduring on a daily basis right now. Revelation 21 says that God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. There's not going to be any more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither any more pain. Former things will be passed away. He's also going to defeat my deceitful and my damning flesh. This flesh that wants to sin, that wants to do things that are against God. As, as Paul wrestles in Romans chapter 7, that the things I want to do, I can't. The things I, I know I'm supposed to do, I don't want to do. He says that, that flesh that goes in those directions, he says that that is going to be taken care of. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he will appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's what's going to happen one day. And it's before I'm done, because I got to make sure that the, 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 the prime enemy that we all have, yes, we have the, the world and the flesh, but don't forget that the devil is a defeated foe as well. In Revelation 20, it says that the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. We've got a God who is everybody that's ever come against God's people, everything that's ever come against God's people, it either has been destroyed, it has been defeated, or it is on the agenda. It's going to happen. Trying to get you to see that victory is going to come because God is with us. God's presence is with us. Finally, look with me in verse 15. He says there that thou hast increased the nation. He's increased the nation. They, he has provided, God's provided to specifically the nation of Israel. But this idea that they are seeing growth, they're seeing success. We might use that word. They're seeing success. But it all starts with a very important definition of what success is. Success in this passage is not what Israel necessarily wanted. It's not what you and I concoct. Look at what success is. He describes it. Verse 15. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. You see that? God is glorified. Thou hast removed it, your glory, unto the ends of the earth. He is saying, listen, what you're doing, God, is you're going to have your glory cover the entire world. That's success. Now, I may not call success that because we think of success in terms of money. We think of success in terms of our own power, our own aggrandizement. But God's definition of success is his glory all over the earth. Okay? I want you to understand that because this is, was, and will always be God's perfect will for his glory to cover the earth. That's always been the case. Go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter one. He makes man in his image and says, now I've got this image that's my image bearer. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth. That's what he says. Then go to the end of time in Revelation in chapter 21. And it says there that there is going to be a city that it does not need sun, neither moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. In other words, from the beginning to the end, it is the glory of God that is the ultimate. It is the high point of success. If God is glorified, 
There is success in God's agenda. Do you see that? Do you understand that? That, that is important. When I say the word success, I do not mean that y'all are going to be rich. I do not mean that you're going to have lots of people thinking you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't mean that. What I mean, according to the Bible, to have success is that God will be glorified in what we do and say. Now, if we're to have that kind of success, we're going to have to seek him. In fact, as he says in verse 9 of this chapter, seek him early. Seek him early. That means for my personal success, if I'm to have any spiritual growth, if my life is to glorify God, if I'm to leave a legacy behind for my family that is to glorify God, if I'm to have a, I'm having work that matters, that God is glorified in my job and in my day-to-day activities, if that's going to happen, it's only going to happen if I seek his presence. That means if we're to have corporate success, if this church is to grow in a way that glorifies God, both in terms of the number as well as the impact of this church, if this church is to grow, to, and I believe this is God's glory, to serve the next generation after many of us are gone, that this church stands as a beacon of hope and truth, if that's to happen, it's only going to happen if we will seek the presence of God. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The only hope that we have for success is God's presence. I'm determined to go with God or forget it all. And I mean that. I really am. I've gone to too many places and done too many things because I wanted to do them. Not because that's where God was. And it's, it's burned me, it's burned my family, it's hurt me, it's hurt other people. And I'm just encouraging you to find, to seek the presence of God so that you can have what you need. When I ask you to stand for just a moment, we'll have a moment of invitation. I'm going to come down front and I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you to come down and Pray and ask to seek God's face. In fact, I would encourage you all, I do happen to know, y'all are going to have a vote here in just a minute. And if you're voting on something because uh, you like somebody or I, whatever it is you vote on, all those, all those reasons people vote, you're missing it. I would encourage you to take a moment now and seek God's presence for his direction. Lord, please move among your people. Encourage them to come. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.